0: Uh... Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written,
1: one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Troll Tooth Wars. And um, it is it is the most gloriously
0: beautiful summer's day here hmm. in, uh, in Cheltenham. I imagine it's not too dissimilar... In your hometown, PJ, it, it is sunny but rather windy. Oh, okay. Well, I, yeah, I think we've just got the sun here. I mean, Cheltenham apparently they call it lazy air. Like, it, that's that's right, isn't it? Lazy air. Sorry, my wife is nodding. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, she has a name, Lucy. Sorry, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So apparently, Cheltenham, we, because we're surrounded by hills, we just get this weird little like ecosystem of of of, of weather ah, above okay. us. Okay. Anyway, but the point is, it's a beautiful day. So, of course, we're both inside, slaving away at a hot microphone to bring you this incredible episode. Because we, my friends, are dedicated to your enjoyment. Speaking of dedication, and also as a kind of apology, um, if I have to duck my head away from the camera, a uh, camera, cry out loud, <laughs> listen to me. If I had to duck my head away from the, micro, the microphone, uh, or you know swig an awful amount of liquid during this podcast it's because i'm recovering from covid and i apologize in advance if you hear any kind of like coughs or splutters or weird little choking noises
1: john got the rona he's been he's been going out and he's just been licking everything so you know that's the consequences i know
0: of that. It, it it finally it finally caught up with me um it's absurd really like i've it in in the time of covid i have been to a comic an honest to goodness Comic Con in the middle of London. I've been to um a gaming convention in in, in sunny Bristol, Birmingham, Birmingham. And I did not once get get the Rona.
1: This is my first time ever catching it. And I've no idea where I got it from. <laughs> it is weird. People people just get it. I think it just turns up and goes, Oh, it's your turn now. I know, PJ, but I had a had a two and a half year well
0: nearly a two and a half year unbroken perfect streak and it finally happened and um mercifully mercifully thanks to the wonders of science uh it was nowhere
1: near as bad as it could have been but yeah just not a not a fun few days, shall we say yeah get your vaccinations people just just so get we vaccine. can put our podcast stance on that straight off.
0: Drink, drink as much vaccination as you can possibly get your hands on because it's, <laughs> it's got a it's got a nice fruity nose on it and uh, and also it will just keep you safe and
1: healthy. Yeah, I recommend seven injections in each arm. <laughs> PJ's been on a a national tour. <laughs> get, get, get. <laughs> um,
0: but no, uh, so yeah. Um, weirdly enough, we've just been having uh, a, a long catch up before turning the microphone on. I don't know, I don't know why. Normally, we're very businesslike. We, you know, we log on. There's no time for no time for friendship, no time for chit chat. We're straight into the episode. But we've just been having a little a little reminisce about weird little things. I don't know why. Does does friendship
1: really count if you're not recording it?
0: <laughs> I well, yeah. I mean, yes. Frankly, I I, I well, yes. Actually, PJ, yes. Because let, let's be brutally honest. I mean, we've in all the years we've known each other we've i say without a doubt we have spent more time talking to each other with a microphone on than we have without yeah definitely definitely to be fair <laughs> yeah yeah because you compare what a, a fleeting uh, a fleeting weekend at a comic con versus what 55 episodes each on average about 2 hours so yeah. We've been talking consistently about the JLA for about four days straight now with no sleep. <laughs> I mean, it feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. um, I wonder if we um... now, PJ, we have actually
1: received a lovely amount of listener emails this week. You have forwarded a few of them on to me and, and they have made me smile every time. Now, listen. I always forward them on to PJ, apart from the times I forget. So I don't,
0: yeah, don't, don't, don't believe anything he says. He gets every, he gets every piece of the mail. <laughs> he also doesn't forward on the hate mail, which I think is very kind. I know. I do like to filter. it. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Complete digression. I got. Uh, I some of you, and probably most people listening, because you are pro- probably sick of hearing it. Uh, I'm currently heavily promoting my upcoming Kickstarter. For the AFTL, I think. Are you? 10th anniversary collection. I know PJ, it's weird. I barely talk about <laughs> it. And um, I was I was doing work yesterday on a, on a few projects and I was just signing off for the day. And I noticed that a complete rando had, um, well, I, thumbs down is the wrong word, but you know, like you can react to Facebook ads or whatever oh yeah uh, and, a, and, and a few people were putting like wow face or smiley face and a complete randomer had put like a sad disappointed face next to my ad and that stuck with me all evening I was like what did that one person have against me what did I do what did I do to deserve that
1: <laughs> it, it can get you as well but I bet what's happened is he is like the face was next to the wow face or something, and he clicked the wrong one. I've done that on people's posts before, oh. and then gone, oh no! Thank you, Pete. No, thank you, PJ. That that has that's completely turned it around yeah. for me.
0: <laughs> well, um, I guess I just want to say like a little thank you to everyone who's written in this past week. Um, it, this isn't going to be one of our like massive kind of listener email um, segments, if you will, mm. because. It, despite the letters being lovely, there's not a massive amount to touch upon other than we just had some really nice messages of goodwill and, and you know, um, uh, uh, what's that Christmas thing? And goodwill to all men. Festive cheer? Festive cheer. Yeah, we just had nice, just appreciative letters, which were lovely. And I, I hope our replies were equally appreciative. But there was one interesting point, which, of course, Chris from Monica Murphy has brought up, <laughs> which I wanted to mention. And this is going back to uh, the Sandman crossover, although it seems reductive to call it a crossover. But, you know, the, the, the cameo by Daniel, mm. the Lord of Dreams in, in JLA. Uh, I was going to say in the Starro storyline, but that actual two-parter didn't have an overall title, did it?
1: uh can't remember i think they did give it one in the trade i want to say but i can't remember what that that title was like the world conqueror or something i think maybe but
0: yeah because because the issue titles were it and the next one was called conquerors yeah it wasn't even yeah so i was going to say like oh you know in the in the star conqueror storyline but um um but the interesting thing was um referring to a throwaway line Between Daniel, Lord of Dreams, and Hippolyta, the, at the time, Wonder Woman, who was serving on the team. And I will quote from uh, Chris's email, because he does a wonderful job of bringing his references (laughs) to the table. He should have written, like, scientific papers. They're they're remarkable. Um, So basically, um, Daniel tells Hippolyta, You know what I am, Queen of the Amazons. You and I are almost family. Now, I think like a lot of people, I kind of originally just saw that as being like one creature of mythology talking yeah. to another creature of mythology. But, and this is the thing that blew my mind, uh, Chris has actually found that there is a direct pre-crisis continuity link, <laughs> which we might we might want to be aware of here. So... In the pages of Sandman, Daniel, while being... It's been a while since I've read it, so I'm having to pick my brains here. Please step in, PJ, if I screw this up. <laughs> but Daniel, despite being the new Lord of Dreams and the, and the replacement of Morpheus, is actually the son of two humans. Yeah. Who just happens to have been conceived and born in the in the dream world, basically. Yeah thus making him kind of a child of dreams. And his mother, who is a fairly major character in in the pages of Sandman, is an ex-superhero called Fury, who, as far as I'm aware, PJ, was a member of, like, kind of... Oh, I was going to say, not the Legion of Superheroes, but, like, um, the, the World War II era of superheroes running around... Like
1: the Liberty Legion or whatever they were called. Am I getting the name wrong? I can't. um, I'm trying to remember. Was it the the Freedom Fighters? Yeah. Like like the,
0: kind of like the JSA, but not the JSA. Like the the really kind of like expanded ranks of every weird 1930s superhero who was running around in those days. Yeah. And she had a kind of like wild, like yellow and red costume. Uh, and I, I think there were two Furies, if I recall. It may have been another kind of lineage kind of thing. Anyway, the point is, and 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 I don't know how I don't know how Chris finds these little nuggets, but he pointed out that the character of Fury, whose real name is Hippolyta Hall, in the pre-crisis continuity, she is the daughter of Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor. Yeah. <laughs> Thus, making her technically the so I guess in pre crisis continuity, Queen Hippolyta, as in our Hippolyta, is like the great grandmother of Daniel, the King of Dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyway, so Chris is kind of like, um, now obviously, like crises and DC reboots technically undo this sort of thing. But as we all know, PJ, as we all know, according to the DC map of the multiverse, the dreaming exists outside of any universe. So technically, Daniel and Morpheus are above continuity reboots. <laughs> as they so, should be. As well they should be. So who knows? Maybe there's a
1: maybe there's a direct thread there. It's it's crazy that kind of that kind of granular research that and detail that Morrison can remember, and that then Chris can put together as well. It's ah, oh, I love it. I love those things. It's brilliant when that comes up. That sort of thing. Well, that's really the big question, though, isn't
0: it? Like, is this conceivably something that Morrison could have thought of? And uh, I mean, I think the answer probably has to be yes. I'd say. It? I'd say for sure. Yeah. 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 What's that thing? What's that thing in like Brit- British? law? Is it like on the balance of probabilities? It's like, you know, if if I can't prove something, on the balance of probabilities, however, you probably did do this. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's more... It's, we, it, there's a more stable universe where Morrison did know that than if they didn't. I think that has to be the only explanation.
1: I mean, that, that story alone proves that Morrison knows the Sandman story and law very, very well. Obviously, they'd read in great detail the Gaiman's opus effectively and Morrison also has demonstrated a very keen knowledge for golden and silver age DC stories the pre-crisis eras so Mm. yeah they knew what they were doing
0: it was really weird to hear and I think it was in some of the wizard magazine interviews but it was really weird to hear like Morrison talk about their run on jla being referred to as this big silver age kind of revival mm. thing and, and and again i think i've said this before but it's weird because it, it it always struck me as a very modern comic i never i never really felt of it as being retro or uh, referential i suppose but i guess there are elements of that
1: i i sort of look at Morrison's JLA and and again we compare them all the time and Busick's Avengers as the two comics that sort of started to at the tail end of the 90s lead comics out of the dark era that had been in place since sort of the mid 80s when everything yeah. had to be grim and gritty and you know you got your multiple Punisher books and heroes with all those chains and things and, and it's really JLA and Avengers that sort of kickstart the, the slightly lighter Eras that came after that in the early two thousands. It's really weird, isn't it? Because I know this is I know this is
0: nostalgia talking, and ev- everybody probably has a, an era in comics they feel a deep affinity to. But obviously, for me, JLA and Busick's Avengers really got me into Marvel and, and DC. I mean, I, I started collecting. God, I would like the tail end of Marvel Heroes Reborn. Mm. Which you know, I have a soft spot for, but was very still shaking off that gnarliness of like the Image Revolution and stuff like that. Yeah, well, and Heroes Reborn was the Image
1: creators, at least at the start, wasn't it? So,
0: oh god, yeah. I mean, I I I still vividly remember like picking up my one of the Panini Marvel UK reprints, but it was the tail end of the the Marvel Heroes Reborn retelling. Of the of Galactus,
1: yeah. And
0: God, I—that's like, the first time I ever saw Vision. Uh, first time I ever saw Ant Man and the Wasp. Instantly fell in love with Ant Man and the Wasp. I thought they were the coolest characters I'd ever seen in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, but you know, but you can picture it in your head. Like, even if you haven't read this comic, I, you can guarantee. Close your eyes. You're reading that comic. Like, you could picture how it looks, how all the characters stood the 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 just extremeness of it, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. But yeah, but then it was the heart and emotion of like, six Avengers in particular, and then also JLA of course, which we're revisiting here today, and that just seemed to like pave this way for this wonderful period for me, where as you say, like things were, things were colorful, and it's like, the world, like the DC universe, felt more modern you know they were obviously referencing contemporary events like terrorism
1: wars you know it was a bit more gritty
0: but at the same time it didn't feel ashamed to be a comic
1: yeah yeah same it was for me it was i because i was buying when i first started buying comics my local news agents for whatever reason would get the occasional random american comics in usually x-men would be X-Men or Uncanny X-Men. So that was my yeah. first exposure to proper American comics. And then I'd start buying the UK <laughs> reprints at first, just Astonishing Spider-Man and Essential X-Men. Then that was joined by Wolverine Unleashed and then later on Heroes Reborn, which was... And I'd read some of the Onslaught saga. That was my introduction to the Avengers in the comics. Um, although my introduction to Vision was actually the early 90s Avengers beat-em-up video game, average at best. Oh my god! On the Mega Drive, yeah. But then, so Vision was in in that. So that, but that was when I first found out Vision should have been sort of red, green, and yellow rather than just this beige. <laughs> oh yeah, he was he was he was rocking the all white yeah, sort of yeah. at the time, wasn't he? And then I found out a, like a, about an American comic shop, a proper comic shop, like <sighs> a couple of towns over. So I had to get the train to get there. But that's when I went in and started collecting. In single issues, Busick's Avengers and Mark Waid's run on Captain America, the Heroes Return Captain America run.
0: Oh, interesting, interesting. Those
1: are really what kick-started my major interest in the Marvel Universe. And then it was around the same time. I, so I got those as single issues and I started then buying the JLA trades around the mm. same time. And that's what got me majorly into DC. So, yeah. It was the brighter comics that got me in, and then I went back and read some of the earlier '90s, the gnarly stuff, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's so, it's funny, isn't it? Because like, God knows we talk about it enough, but like the Busick Perez run on Avengers, like it it had a really, really good run. I mean, didn't didn't it make it up into like the '70s or something like that, the '60s or '70s before Jeff Johns took over? Uh,
1: Perez left, I want to say, in the late '30s. Uh, but, of course, then came back to do JLA Avengers. And I, I want to say Busek's last issue was somewhere in the late 50s or early 60s, yeah.
0: Yeah, because they did, like, the... They did a big... The, it was the Kang
1: War. Wasn't that, like, the big finale to Busek's run? That Yeah, and that was, like, a, a full year of of Avengers comics devoted to this one sort of story with smaller stories within it as well. And then the finale of that was was his sort of big ending, and then there was like one final issue that was sort of just a little epilogue at the mm. end, which was just Busick having fun with some of his favourite Avengers characters. The um, and then obviously
0: you had this kind of weird period after that where Jeff Johns did a bit. You know, he had like um, the Reg Zone storyline, which um, I still I you know I, I think at the time mostly be, be, because of Olivia Capel's incredible artwork, still have a bit of a soft spot for. Um, but, but then when it really like the death knell of that was when it transitioned to new Avengers, you know, obviously Bendis entered the scene and did, um, Disassembled. Yeah. Um, which I remember finding like a very difficult book to read at the time because I had, I loved these characters so much and I, I remember finding it like very shocking to suddenly have such a tonal shift and to have like characters dying and things being it was very grim yeah like a like a nightmare really uh but at the same time and i know i'm i'm i know i am quite critical of bendis on occasion but i do totally understand why it needed
1: to happen the series had become a bit stale it had it had and i was i was I was collecting Avengers. I collected through the Jeff Johns run, which I think he ended with the Search for She-Hulk storyline and then the Ant-Man and Jack of Hearts one part story, which killed Jack of Hearts. I want to say that was the end of Jeff Johns. And then Chuck Austin came in with his weird new (laughs) Captain Britain take that was interesting but just didn't quite work. And then his Return of the Invaders storylines, neither of which are particularly great. And that was sort of the downward shift for the the title and that yeah it was right after that that bendis came in and did disassembled and so because i'd just had i don't know what 10 issues of of the chuck Austin doldrums and don't get on chuck Austin has done some very good stuff in in on other books and in animated shows as well but these were not his finest hour
0: no and
1: and i think you can also tell when a when a
0: series is is maybe has become a bit of a zombie of it of itself, like it's just kind of going through the motions. It's maybe maybe not any of the creators, individual creators' fault. They just, I don't know. You could tell maybe change was coming, and they we were just kind of keeping it. Do you think? Do you think with Bendis? Do you think they brought Bendis on to Avengers to essentially do what Grant Morrison had done
1: for the X Men? I think there there were two things that I read that sort of were there with. JLA was a direct influence on what Bendis did with Avengers cuz Oh, interesting. It was I think there's there's the Busick run was amazing and I think anything that followed that was going to struggle. So then Jeff Johns comes in and does some interesting stories with some good artists, but at that point the moment Jeff Johns comes in, Ultimates has come out as well. Uh, and is outselling yeah. Avengers even though it's not as good cuz Busick's <laughs> Avengers is far superior.
0: We were all. We were all. Dr- <laughs> Hindsight is wonderful, isn't it? Like, yeah. uh, you could say that we were all so drunk with the possibility of real life cinematic superheroes. Yeah. That we loved the Ultimates. I loved the Ultimates. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. No, at the time I did too. And then a few yeah. years later, I read it, reread it, and went, "This is terrible." <laughs> but it's yeah, quite a quite a weirdly nasty book. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> but you can see in in the Jeff Johns run suddenly. Um, Warbird at the time Carol Danvers and Ant-Man have these new costumes that are clearly very influenced by Ultimates and they look boring they are dull, dull yeah. costumes and then like as a direct response to Ultimates, because Avengers just wasn't selling well, they bring in Bendis and Bendis's goal is like well look at JLA that is DC's big name big hitters that's what the avengers should be so that's why he brings spider-man and wolverine onto the team because they are marvel's big hitters <laughs> so mm. it, yeah so it was jla i think a little bit of what morrison was doing with uh, with mm. new x-men was an influence on there as well and and it all happened because of the ultimates and then of course bendice's avengers or new avengers did start outselling the ultimates
0: and i want to
1: I say that like
0: yeah and even as some, even as somebody who is not Bendis' biggest fan, I can't deny the impact he had on the series because, I mean, God, like like the stuff he began. I mean, Were we talking like two thousand and five, two thousand and six? Wasn't that around? No, that was a bit too. Was it two thousand and four? I, I, I think like Disassembled
1: was two thousand and four. New Avengers, uh, New Avengers yeah. then came in either early two thousand and five. I th- I think. I think Civil War was like 2006, wasn't it? Yeah, and that's, I think, I, I really enjoyed the first couple of stories in, in New Avengers. The forming of the team, I I, I think, is, is is a really fun story. And then the century stuff that came after that, I liked. Mm. But then it does start to get bogged down in the crossovers because that's when then suddenly they do House of M. That does really well. And Marvel suddenly have to do a big event every year. But each event lasts at least six months. <laughs> I mean, I know both Marvel and
0: DC have, have been guilty of leaning quite heavily on it, events, but event books in their history. But good grief, it kind of went crazy around the mid-2000s and hasn't really stopped. Yeah. Like, Because what, it was like Civil War or, or House of M made bank, you know, Civil War. Oh,
1: God. And then what was it, like Secret Invasion? I, I think it was House of M, Civil War. Civil War did so well that they pretty much went straight into World War Hulk after Civil War. Oh, God, War. World
0: War Hulk. I forgot about that.
1: Yeah, I think it was Secret Invasion after World War Hulk. Then Dark Reign? Dark they did Siege. But Siege was, was how events should be done, in my opinion, because it was done in a month. It was a yeah. four-part series released weekly, and all the tie-ins were sort of then done over that well, maybe month and a few like the month after so siege was actually a very quick event with some great moments in it and then that went into the dark Reign, which was like then a year's long worth of stories that then or no no dark rain may have come before siege yeah because siege, like yeah, siege was like the return of captain america yeah. or steve rogers wasn't it so yeah yeah you're right see, see dark rain came out of secret invasion and then they did siege and that launched into the heroic age Yes, where they
0: were kind of because, yeah, and, and it's this weird kind of like elastic band style um, arms race where, like, you know, the comics were getting more popular, then the movies. Oh, and then, oh, wow, okay, so then we've had like four or five Marvel movies which are doing great, but then they're like, well, hang on a minute. If people like the movies and want to pick up a comic, why is like The Thing, Iron Fist, and oh, I, I don't know, um, Spider Woman. On the Avengers, like <laughs> where are the big
1: ones? Like we need to, we need to bring it back to basics. Yeah, because then after Bendis leaves, you get Hickman starts his Avengers, which I didn't get on with. I, I, I for me, that moved I tried. too far away from the core of what the Avengers should be. Some very clever big ideas, but there was no, no personality to it. No human, no human element. Yeah,
0: like I say, I Hickman, I think. At his best is a is a is a wonderful sci-fi writer. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Um and that, you think, know, around that exa- exa- time he was just smashing out all these image
1: series, big
0: concept image well, titles. And I think
1: that's why he did very well and was very good on Fantastic Four as well. Because if any Marvel superhero book is gonna lean into sci-fi, it should be that.
0: Yeah. It was it was weird because I know it, if you care about such things, the you could always say that, like, oh well who would win in a fight, the Avengers or the JLA? And it's always just like, well, the JLA would win because DC heroes are generally more powerful than Marvel ones, if you care about such things. Um, I felt with the Hickman run, there was almost an element of, oh, oh, Marvel heroes aren't powerful, are they? Well, watch me assemble the most powerful Avengers team ever. You know, to a point where you've got like Thor, Captain Marvel, uh, Hulk, Starbrand, Hyperion... Um, <laughs> hyperion god um smasher uh captain universe like that there there are some fun there's definitely a lot of fun concepts in the hickman stuff and I, I think the closest it comes to feeling like a a wacky superhero title is when they're dealing with the new star brand yes agreed it's it's like a little two-parter where you have like the hulk being like blasted into orbit and stuff like that and it does briefly feel like a oh this is this is super heroics um but yeah, I I persisted with, um, Avengers right up until Secret Wars,
1: and then I realised they were just doing House of M again. Yeah, yeah. You and had then the, I finally just stopped. You had the Infinity Event in there as well, but I could not tell you what happened in that. It. <laughs> uh, I read it, it. Couldn't tell you. And then this is the.
0: This is when when I am on my deathbed, you know, age one hundred and twenty. Surrounded by all my adoring fans, and when I am finally slipping from this world, my last thought will be, "What the hell was going on with the children of Thanos?" Yeah. And so the the Avengers movie introduces a minion for Thanos, and based on that character, Hickman introduces a a henchman called Corvus Glaive. Worst name ever. <laughs> But then that character gets killed by Ronin in Guardians of the Galaxy. So then in Infinity War, they introduce a new character based on the called Corvus Glaive, based on the comic character, who was based on a character from
1: the movies. Yeah, it's madness, PJ. <laughs> it is. It it's is absolute madness. I persevered a little longer than you did. I think I went. I did um, went through Secret War. I didn't read everything in Secret War because, God no, but. I did then carry on with... Was it after Secret War? Original Sin was another event that was in there somewhere. I think that was during Hickman's ah, run. But that I... was...
0: Wasn't that... That's definitely when I fell off the wagon because that was when you had this weird quasi-era of Marvel. Was that called Marvel Now? That might have been around then, yeah. Because then you had the original Sin storyline and you had, like, Steve Rogers became old and <sighs> Falcon took over as, like... Captain America. Yeah, that's
1: happened a number of times within the space of 10 years, (laughs) didn't it? But then I fell off during Jason Aaron's run on Avengers, which I was enjoying, to be honest. Uh, I thought he was doing some interesting, fun stuff, and he had a good team there, and he had Ed McGuinness doing art, which is great. But then the reason I sort of fell off was because I'd started buying my comics digitally through Comixology, Uh and that was then when suddenly Comixology... Whacked up their UK prices quite a lot. And I was like, well, then mm. I'm I'm out, I'm not buying this way anymore. And I thought I might go back to buying physical in comic shops, but I just didn't bother. And I found myself thinking, I love these characters, but I'm actually fine not picking up these books every month now.
0: That that's a funny thing, isn't it? It's like when you have a particularly when you're collecting like a monthly title. In a world where trade paper packs exist, and this is, frankly, I could talk for hours about this and I will definitely not do that now, but, like, there's a fundamental issue, I think, about the economic model of comics and how Western American comics are distributed. Because I think, like, the whole monthly model is inherently unsustainable. And particularly if you're a collector, unless you're really in love with the collecting part of it... Hmm. I think it becomes quite difficult to justify collecting a, a series in floppies when you know there will eventually be trades, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, And yeah, and it's like, after a while, you it, it can start to feel like an obligation. You know, particularly, like, I, I suffered through a lot of the Bendis stuff, and I was like, why am I still collecting this? Like, yeah, I kept doing it.
1: Yeah. It was weird. Yeah, and then... Because I was collecting it when the big event happened, I was like, well now I have to buy this as well and some of these tie-ins, because this has got these characters in it as well. And it was the the only reason for doing it was just like habit.
0: Yeah. And then and then, you know, I, I, I there were a few Morrison series I was hanging on to. I think um Green Lantern was the last one I actively collected as a as a floppy. And then I, I realised I wasn't actually even enjoying the Morrison's lantern run mm. and that really was that really just did kind of end my love affair with collecting comics and i think that was in the last kind of three years really i think i kind of really trailed off around the time we started this show <laughs>
1: actually just collecting something on a regular monthly basis yeah yeah there's there's nothing i collect now i was thinking of like going back in and buying older comics on Comicsology, but of course now comiXology is basically unusable
0: Oh god, I have no idea what's going on there. I like I I know that from a from a the perspective of an of an uh, like an actual indie publisher on Comicsology, um, because they have now completely killed off the Comicsology submit platform. Yeah, um, you basically lose any continuity or goodwill you may have bought up with a book because when, when I got volume one of after I think on comicsology purely by virtue of being very early to the platform mm. it was often included in like a lot of um best of indie collections yeah, yeah that sort of thing which i i feel i hasten to add is not necessarily a reflection on the quality of the book it is literally just like I was there at the right time yeah um so yeah I had a good bank of like reviews up against and then star ratings up against my book. And um you know, we weren't actively pushing Comixology, but you get like a little bit of money from them every now and then. But but yeah, like Comixology Submit just doesn't exist anymore and uh you've got to go through Kindle Direct Publishing now. And they sent an email to everyone saying like, Okay, well, we'll give you like <laughs> like ten dollars free credit if you transfer all your books across. I just haven't. Yeah.
1: It's just so hard to muster the energy to do it. Well, it's the fact that you, you, you can't even buy comics through the Comixology site anymore. You have to do it on Amazon. And it's just yeah. not convenient. It's really hard to find what you're looking for. And they've changed the app, and that doesn't work as well now either. I I honestly think this has killed Comicsology for a lot of people. And that's a shame, because they had a lot of comics on there.
0: They had to... Didn't Comixology even have to put out some kind of, like, apology? Yep like because the app was so bad
1: like a few months ago yeah and they were like oh but we're going to work on it and make it better and it's like well it was fine just you know it's the amazon buyout isn't it this was always going to be the plan for amazon to just put it in as part of amazon rather than have it be its own separate thing and it's just made it worse like i have to assume the purchase
0: was purely so that they could get hold of the Probably the most unique thing about Comixology was for panel-by-panel transitions. Guided view, yeah. Yeah, so I have to assume it was just to own that technology, for lack of a better word, like that thing. And then, because now they could quite happily just kill it off, you know, and it's like, oh, well, you killed Comixology. And they're like, well, what does it matter? We're Amazon.
1: It doesn't matter. It means a competitor can't have it, so... Yeah, I'm I'm surprised something else hasn't sprung up already to take its place to be honest with how many people are complaining about it. Maybe it's, it is something someone's looking into doing and then obviously you've got to make the deals with the publishers and things, but
0: yeah, I don't know. The thing is like it was like it's like the Netflix problem, isn't it? Like for a period everybody had Netflix and Netflix had a monopoly and you know it, all you had to worry about was subscribing to one streaming service and then you know, you've got this kind of explosion of rivals and now there's so many and you're kind of spoiled for choice. And I, I remember in Comicsology's heyday, there were so many rivals trying to do what Comixology was doing and it didn't work out at the time because they Comicsology was the biggest one, mm. you know. Uh, God, there was like Comics Pulse, Comics Now. Um, and yeah, and it's weird like you know, because Amazon is so seemingly salted... You know, and effectively salted the earth. <laughs> um, no one's quite rushed in to take 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 the uh, take the
1: mantle, really,
0: because it's very hard to fight Amazon.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I know there's that you've got other things you can do, like your Marvel Unlimited. But again, that's a subscription service, so you've got to pay monthly, and that's only Marvel Comics. Then, and I think a lot of these companies do have these services now. But then you're paying every month to all of them, and it's like the the streaming services again, all over yeah you
0: see folks, we like to talk we like to pretend it's all about creativity, but frankly, a lot of it is about economics. yeah, and a lot of what you love is is governed by very curious business decisions on occasion. yep, yeah, which can kill the creativity. But PJ, um you know from from bemoaning uh, industry to celebrating one of its proudest achievements, which is the
1: monthly superhero comic. Um, what the hell are we talking about this week? This week, we are looking at essentially a one-shot story, a fill-in issue. This is JLA issue 32. Uh, Morrison and Porter are taking a break to prepare for their (laughs) grand finale. So we've got a couple of issues without them, but a couple of nice little one-shots that I I think uh, are are definitely worthy of being included in the series. Morrison and Porter,
0: picture them now uh, in... uh... Uh, August 1999, chilling on a beach in Glasgow, uh, sipping uh, sipping iron brew out of a, a champagne flute and just having a month or two off. <laughs> a well-earned one after Crisis Times 5, let's be honest. Oh, let's be honest, yeah. I mean, like they're really building up for that final push right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is a weird one, because not only uh, do we have uh, a guest artist, uh, the return of a wonderful Mark Pagiarillo, but we also, I think the first time in the series have two
1: writers on a story yeah so this story is co-written by mark wade and devin grayson now i think you know mark wade was like the go-to guy when morrison needed a break for the filling issues <laughs> that's just how it worked but yeah. i i think this was done with devin grayson because this issue ties into no man's land which was ongoing at the time and I'm pretty sure Devin Grayson was one of the writers on the Bat books during No Man's Land.
0: Well, that makes sense. And I should apologise. Actually, I've just checked my, my my handy spreadsheet, and we have had a two person writing team on the series. PJ, you'll start for ten. What's storyline had two writers?
1: Oh, oh, hello. Uh, I'll give you. I'll give you a hint. Obviously, Morrison is not one of them. I mean. Are we we talking in the main JLA series or one of our tangents? No, it's something we've covered on this show. Oh, Midsummer's Nightmare then. Okay, okay, okay.
0: Bonus point. What is the only other storyline to have two writers? One of whom was Grant Morrison.
1: What? A storyline is a bit unfair. Story. Oh, wait. Yeah, wasn't it? JLA Secret Files and Origins 1, didn't that didn't yes. you do that with Mark Miller?
0: Yes. Yeah, yes, they they PJ. Yep. Cool.
1: Yes. Oh wow.
0: Unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, be warned, he's coming for you. Oh no, he's not. <laughs> um I, I should say, like, in, in the trade, um, they've obviously collected um the the two covers for these upcoming two standalone stories, um, both of which were drawn by Porter. Yeah, and even though um, I really, really, really like um, Mark Padrillo's artwork, I just want to point out how much I appreciate the weirdly chunky calves
1: on all the superheroes we see on this on this cover. Yeah, this this cover is literally just the feet of a, of four members of the J uh, five members of the JLA. Sorry, stood over a sign lying in the rubble on the ground that says Welcome to Gotham. So it's Aquaman, Flash, Superman, Jean, and Wonder Woman's feet. Yeah, I just um, because Mark
0: Padrillo draws like a very lanky human being. Mm. I just you know it's it's just I particularly quite striking when you just see the the Porter kind of chunkiness by comparison. I I I, I merely appreciate
1: it. Yeah, I, I do. I have been checking actually, and this issue was not put out with the No Man's Land banner on it, as far as I can tell, because all all issues that were No Man's Land tie ins had like this this black and yellow police tape style banner down the left hand side of them that said no man's land Um, interesting so all the bat books had it Um, you get an interesting moment during the day of judgment crossover in a couple of months time where the issue of Azrael has no man's land down the side and day of judgment across the top and yeah <laughs> but like there were one shots and things they do like young justice no man's land and things like that so this issue as far as i can tell did not have that banner on it so it isn't an official tie-in so i do wonder as well even though it's clearly a no man's land story if this issue of jla has been included in the recent like complete no man's land collections interesting i'll need to check that
0: i guess we'll we'll comment on it as we get into it but i i I wonder then, if it, if it's potentially not included in the main canon, you know, despite being in canon, is it more of a lamp shading to explain why the Justice League aren't more involved in the events of No Man's Land?
1: Well, you say that, but No Man's Land, the original trades that I've got that were put out as the comics were coming out, it's not complete there's there's loads of the basically the main batman series is all that they've put in there so you don't get any of like the robin or nightwing or azrael issues sure but there are two stories in those trades that have superman coming to gotham that explain why superman hasn't done more for gotham right and they're both they're really good. I really like both of them. But they've included those in, in that original <laughs> run, and they will be in the complete No Man's Land trades as well that I am very tempted to get. But so yeah, it I there's no reason to not include this issue of JLA in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting. I like no No Man's
0: Land is, is something that I I feel I know intimately what it's about,
1: but I've never read. I I feel like uh there will come a time when what we'll be doing with this podcast is looking at the big Batman events of the '90s, starting with Nightfall and going up to No Man's Land. So I think you'll read it mm. eventually.
0: Yeah, no, I like
1: this. This could be the opportunity to finally
0: revisit all these big, meaningful events. Mm, yeah. yeah, it could be like the, the filling in the gaps in
1: my in my in my in my head. Once, once my we're life. done with Morrison, we'll do Death of Superman, and then we'll do <laughs> Nightfall. Contagion Legacy Cataclysm No Man's Land There you go Will we do um, The Death
0: of Superman Children's book Novelization No Which is something I saw Advertised in the back Of that <laughs> random issue Of JLA Task Force I picked up uh,
1: No I doubt it I, th- I think we'll do The Death World Without And Return of Superman And then maybe The two Doomsday miniseries That Dan Juergens Followed up with Because one of them Includes the Morrison Version of the JLA As well And is, is a lot of fun Oh um, Interesting. I think that's Superman, the Doomsday War. Ah, and, and, do- and Dooms Night, the sequel. No. No, John,
0: stop it. I'm, wa- I'm wasted on you. Peter, <laughs> you <honestly>. are. <laughs> um, but should we dive in? Let's do DJ? it. Um, okay, well, uh, we open in space. Well, I guess kind of like very high orbit. Like the, the upper atmosphere is my guess. Yeah, I was going to say the Neosphere, but... That was very kind of wanky of me because I think it actually is the ionosphere according to the <laughs> according to the text.
1: Yeah, and uh, Superman's just floating in space, and I've got to say, Padreillo draws a glorious Superman just floating in space.
0: He, he draws a really good Superman. Yeah, like he, he's just got a, a big, a big clean S on his chest. It's
1: lovely. Yeah, I like. I don't know if this would happen if this is scientifically accurate, but Superman has icicles sort of forming on on his feet and his arms and because it's cold in space but does he give off that much moisture um i i we all know pJ that Superman
0: has complete metabolic control over his body mm. so maybe he's choosing
1: to exude water at this point <laughs> or I mean he can induce sleep in himself that's true or his suit has just come out of the wash. That is true. That could also be true. I mean, he may have flown up through, like,
0: a rainstorm. That's true. Or something. There are many reasons he could be freezing. I guess the really weird thing is, that like, why is he breathing out? Yeah. Well, yeah. Because it looks cool. Because we've basically established that Superman can
1: survive in space. But he can't breathe in space. No, I, I think and it, he does... at this point it was, like, yeah. established he could hold his breath for about 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of obviously in
0: uh, the going way back to American Dreams, we see Electric Blue Superman fly from the moon to the Earth, uh, but he does need like a little mouth oxygen tank. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he doesn't have to cover his eyes or his head. He's not going to explosively decompress, but like, yeah. So, so we have to assume at this point he's either holding his breath or if he's in the ionosphere, there may be just enough. Atmosphere for him to breathe, which might be why he's up there for so long. Maybe. Eh, who knows? Anyway, <laughs> he's Superman. He, he, he finds a way. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so Superman is up on the edge of the ionosphere, kind of chilling on the edge of, well, literally chilling because you know icicles are forming on him, but chilling on the edge of Earth's atmosphere and space, and um, he's having a having a, t- a conversation with someone. You know, kind
1: of telepathically. Yeah, because even though technically Jean's not with the League at the moment, the telepathic link is somehow still active. I choose not to think about it too much. Uh, Jean, even when he's not working, he's still working. Yeah. <laughs> like he's putting it. this real estate
0: of his brain, which is just constantly maintaining the telepathic link.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but basically Superman's spending this page say th- ta- filling us in on what's going on in Gotham. It's been cut off after the the... the viruses the plagues the earthquakes and (laughs) it's it's basically uh yeah it is a no man's land it's martial law it's been shut down federal federal aid denied and a lot of people refuse to leave and it's just now a lawless society and he wishes there were more he could do to help
0: Yeah, and uh, to which the person he's talking to is giving him a little bit of sass, saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I know you want to help, but I guess that's why you're just kind of chilling on the edge of the ionosphere. Um, And we realise that the person who's giving him sass is Huntress, who is currently in the middle of a good old-fashioned street
1: brawl down in the ruins of Gotham. Yeah. Yeah, Superman says, you know, the JLA is doing everything it can for the people of Gotham. And Andrew's says, great, I feel much less vulnerable. As we get the title, Inside Job, and then the credits Mark Wade and Devin Grayson, guest writers. Mark Padrillo, guest pencils. Walden Wong, guest inks. Ken Lopez, letters. Pat Garrity. He colours. Heroic age separations. Tony Bernard, associate editor. Dan Raspler, editor. Yeah, and, and uh, despite feeling or, or saying or thinking
0: inside our head, I feel much less vulnerable. Uh there is a little smile, a dark smile on Huntress's face. Just reminding us that even though she's surrounded by thugs with baseball bats, I mean she, she of course isn't vulnerable, really. You know, she's about to go all dark avenger of the night on them. Yeah. Um and yeah, which well, she does uh, she so she starts this kind of like a uh, beating up people uh uh while chastising uh Superman basically saying like, you know, look, hey, if I if I seem distracted, it's because I am. Uh you know, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but uh you know, we're a little busy in Gotham right now. Sure would be nice if the sure would be nice if the JLA could step in on occasion. <laughs> that would be lovely.
1: Yeah, and she just says, look, I'm not to sound ungrateful, it's it's good to be in the JLA, and I know I've been a bit busy for meetings because of this, but I feel like I'm on a team that I'm not a part of.
0: Yeah, and And then then, um, Superman's like, uh, look, you know, we all have a a role to play. And then he does go, uh, we all have our role to play, as Green Lantern and Orion discovered two weeks ago. And then harp music plays, and we have like a... (laughs) And and suddenly we've
1: transitioned uh, to, to a flashback, basically. Two weeks in the past. Just before we go there, though, we've had these two brilliant panels of Huntress beating up these goons. I think I might prefer Padgerillo's Huntress to Porter's. He draws a great Huntress. Yeah. Yeah. And I know from one of the Wizard specials, Porter said that Huntress is his least favourite character on the team to draw. He doesn't like the costume. And that might be why. But I I, I feel like Pajarillo has a slightly better handle on her than Porter does. They both they're both great. They both do a great Huntress, but yeah.
0: Yeah, it's actually kind of weird that I guess just coincidentally that in all the episodes Issues that um, Padrillo's guested on um, Huntress seems to have been quite kind of front and center, really. So, um, yeah, and again, he just draws her really well. Just she always looks really just kind of comfortable in the costume, mm. you know, wear,
1: wearing it like normal clothes. Doesn't
0: look like, you know, it, it just looks so natural.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I feel like Porter often wraps her in her cloak, yeah, so he doesn't have to draw the costume. <laughs> <laughs> but Padreiro just goes for it, and it's great.
0: Yeah, no, it's fun, and um, yeah, I, again, a nice degree of like. um oh, flipping heck! I just lost my page. Nice degree of like athleticism as well, as uh, she um, d- just does a kind of like split jump over someone's head and cracks him in the back of the skull with the butt of her crossbow gun. Yep, which actually looks a hell of a lot like just a gun, but yeah, yeah, yeah with a little bow on top of it. Yeah, definitely no no guns. <laughs> definitely not a gun. Um but yeah, in the past, um we see a helicopter trying to fly supplies into Gotham, but you know, it's a no fly zone, so they're being ordered to uh ordered to get the hell out of there. Um when a, 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 a giant golden bird goes to attack Goes to attack the helicopter.
1: Yeah, they shout for uh, to call it off, and and the, the people who are saying don't fly over here as I like, call what off, and then the bird gets blasted out of the sky by Orion, in a, 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 a
0: frankly incredible explosion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> arguably one of the best explosions you'll ever see in a comic, uh, and then followed
1: by an absolutely amazing picture of Orion just kind of blasting in. <laughs> yeah, with green lantern behind him catching the remains of this bird in a big green bin he's created (laughs) um i'm running out of ways unique ways
0: to say how much i love mark padrillo's artwork really yeah um he draws
1: a very good flying person he does actually yeah you can sort of feel the movement of kyle in the air as well and the dialogue's great here as well because Kyle shouts to Orion, nice shooting text. <laughs> Orion says, the name is Orion Whelp. When will you learn respect for the Scion of Darkseed himself? And Kyle just quietly says, when you learn to call me Green Lantern instead of Whelp. I should also point out that, like, Orion, um, his costume
0: has always walked a very fine line between sublime and ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. And, and sometimes he does look a bit silly. He absolutely does not look silly here. No. Like, um... Again, Mark Padrillo just drawing somebody wearing a superhero costume like it's the most comfortable thing in the world. Like
1: he just looks badass here. Yeah, and there's a weight and a chunkiness to him. Not he doesn't draw him as big as Porter or uh, or even you know Arnie Jorgensen, who did some of the other mm. fill-in issues, drew a big Orion. And Padrillo doesn't lean that far into it, but you can still feel the power of this guy and the the size and weight of him. Yeah, and and also just for the way he draws like a, a good old-fashioned energy
0: crackle. Yeah. Like um, the unique energy signature around Kyle's ring, I absolutely love here. Yeah. And it looks very different to Orion's, uh, is it the Astro Force? Yeah. Yeah, um, which has got some good old-fashioned Kirby crackle in it, which is nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like inexplicably, um, giant golden mechanical bergs are attacking Gotham. Yeah. Uh, Just a regular day for Batman. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, got the aerial ballet here is lovely, and uh, Orion is just blasting the hell out of them, and Kyle is basically, like, flying around with a big green bin and just picking up all the dead bits every time they fall
1: down. Yeah, Kyle makes sure to point out, you know, these are cybernetic creatures. They're not alive, Mm -hmm. so it's fine to blow them to pieces. And then one of them... One of the birds manages to grab Orion. So <laughs> Kyle smashes it in the head with a giant green cracker. Oh, and that and it just looks amazing. Like <laughs> again, Porter,
0: if you're listening, we we love you. We love you. But like Mark Padrillo, also very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, so Kyle being very creative in the span of just a couple of pages, uh generating a, a giant Owen plasma cracker. And also a giant net to catch Orion, who has fallen quite limply to the ground. Um, and uh, well, PJ, he's gone all he's gone all Borg yep. on us. Yep. he be- he's being assimilated by technology, which is literally eating its way into
1: his eyeball. Yes. Quite horrific. Yeah. And he's, he's talking about complete life form dominance, which worries Kyle, but not enough to you know he does turn around and blast another bird before he can. <laughs> Before he panics. And then we cut to yeah. the JLA Watchtower. Now, I'm just going to apologise, PJ, because I've got a cough building up in me. You go.
0: <coughs> Thank you. Sorry, I should really not be smoking a pipe while we're, <laughs> while we're recording. A uh, little footnote, I do love that panel of Kyle blasting the bird. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, PJ, um, uh, DNA or something, cosmic DNA being... Being,
1: being affected by technology. What's all that about? Well, apparently this is artificial life in the form of a mechanical virus, and we have both Jean and Aquaman present, standing over Orion with Kyle in the background. I can say, you know, this this story, maybe these flashbacks took place before DC <clears> 1 million? <throat> Although, had No Man's Land started then? I don't know. Maybe they
0: brought John in. That's a very good point, actually. I've forgotten... Yes, that's a very good point. My brain hadn't really put two and two together that Jean shouldn't be around at this point. Maybe he stepped in because because of who they're dealing with, you know. You know,
1: they're like, "Hey, Jean, do you recognize this?" And of course, he does. Maybe. Yeah, he and Aquaman do recognize what's going on, the technology, <clears throat> everything about it, and they say in unison, "Locus." And Kyle's like, "Where's a locus?" Kyle, bless him, has
0: absolutely no idea what's going on. Uh, which leads to um, a nice little flashback
1: to JLA Year One. Yeah, and you get a lovely panel of, of Jean and Aquaman, but Aquaman in his short hair, no beard, orange and green two hands look, fighting alongside <laughs> Barry Allen and Hal Jordan and Black Canary against a bunch of Locust scientists. Now, um, we are going to cover JLA Year One. Yes. It's a gap in my knowledge. Uh, do you remember this particular storyline? Yeah, yeah. Locus uh, sort of seeded through a lot of year one. And it is
0: then, because in one of the interviews with Mark Wade in the Wizard Specials, Mark Wade talks about how there were plans, or at the time, actual, you know, it was going to happen, that they were going to introduce a villain in JLA year one who would go on to become a major player in the main JLA series. Yeah. As far as I understand, that
1: didn't 100% happen, as he describes it. But was that Locus? I assume so. I assume so. Because I think these two issues, this one and the next one, certainly the next one very much sets up some stuff that Wade does on his JLA run, straight after Morrison, and I have to imagine that that was his intention with this as well, but this one doesn't quite come to fruition.
0: Yeah, it's weird. I, I almost wonder whether those discussions didn't didn't ultimately lead to anything and maybe the plan had been for Locus to to be more of a player mm. at some point. And then, I don't know, maybe Wade gets the chance to come in and do these filler issues and is like, oh, you know what? Maybe I'll just pick up that little plot thread and do something with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But Jean explains that locusts are a group of rogue geneticists and yeah, they have mapped Amy alien DNA to these big yellow birds that they're going to use to basically Kyle says, well, so what they're going to be using Gotham as one big Petri dish. He's like, yeah, pretty much. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know,
0: uh, with this bizarre kind of nanite, virus they've got uh it can kind of spread through touch and only the only reason they could save orion is because well he's a he's a new god he's not he's not human basically Mm. so this is really bad for gotham and kyle's like oh my god do you do you think locusts were behind the no man's land
1: event like is this is this their doing basically (laughs) and so jean says well I know how to find out. So he just goes and hangs out in the Senate chamber, all invisible, scanning the minds of politicians.
0: <laughs> yeah, um and he goes right into it and tries to tries to see if there's corruption in the Senate. Um <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that for someone else yep, to think yep. about. <laughs> and um Um But he can't because apparently um the Senate have a degree of telepathic protection, which might be seen as a very sensible precaution
1: for any democracy in a world where telepaths exist. Yeah, Jean begins his scan and then screams. He's invisible, so the politicians don't know who's screaming, which freaks them out. And so, and basically, it's synaptic feedback, and Jean has to get out of there quickly. Yeah, and...
0: Uh, lest you forget we are technically in a flashback, we now cut back to Huntress beating up some people and uh, she's like, oh my god, does this mean that the Gotham crisis is is all one part of a a massive conspiracy? And uh, Superman up in orbit who is now covered in even more ice (laughs) is like, "Eh, well maybe or maybe also the Senate just had decent telepathic shielding. I mean we probably shouldn't have been hacking into their brains anyway but you know there we go um and uh you know it, as a nice little aside while superman and, and huntress are just having this kind of casual conversation um superman is like um oh um behind you by the way uh because uh a thug is swinging
1: a pipe towards her yeah and so she lashes out and kicks him in the face she's like you're watching me and superman says intermittently
0: yeah, he also says like um, you know, he he doesn't necessarily think it's a good idea to be bathing people in X-rays for um for a good while. <laughs> um and uh yeah, Huntress is like, wait, you know, you're watching and you're still not doing anything, what are you doing? And he's like, Well, you know, I don't know, we're just kind of it's quiet. So I'm just kinda of hanging out up here, basically, keeping an eye on things. And uh and then he goes, Of course, um that bird was only the first part of the Locust uh, attack, and then that harp music plays again. It goes diddle diddle, and suddenly we're in uh, Gotham
1: City Harbor, which we know is a thing because we we saw it in the previous storyline. Yep, yep. So he mentions that they've got Wonder Woman and Steel doing an air patrol over the city, but Locust built a big big angry fish instead. So <laughs> Zauriel and Aquaman are underwater. <laughs> Taking on this fish, which Aquaman says this is not something that belongs underwater.
0: It's for fish and fowl to Do you think Plastic Man gets jealous when Zariel is off having adventures with Aquaman? Yes. <laughs> yeah, they'd have to, really. I also, this is just my headcanon, but I choose to believe that Zariel being an angel from a higher dimensional plane... Um, Moving around on the mortal plane just kind of forgets how matter works sometimes, which is why he can swim or fly underwater, because he, to him, he doesn't necessarily see the difference between air and water.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's entirely
0: my headcanon. I think that makes sense, though. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so um, Aquaman's got some dolphins helping out as well. And... um, uh, you know, just because they're, like, whacking this big beast, uh, he suddenly goes, oh, no, no, retreat, retreat. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and they
1: narrowly avoid uh, a minefield. Yeah. I do like the line of, of Zaryl saying, I, I can't use my, my shatter scream underwater. And Aquaman says, then just keep hitting it with your magic sword. But, yeah, then the big fish is intentionally swimming into the underwater mines surrounding Gotham, which... Aquaman's like, well, why is it doing this? And then realises that the big fish is a distraction for a smaller science craft that is also making its way towards Gotham. Uh, And, you know, you might be asking yourself, oh, cool. Uh, It's
0: a a, a spaceship full of nice, nerdy, evil scientists. It's always fun to beat them up. Uh, Should we do it now? And Aquaman's like, no, hang on a minute. Let me call in a friend and then we see we cut to the surface where we see uh, a massive whale breaching out of the water and uh, essentially knocking
1: this submarine onto the shore <laughs> and again a nice bit of dialogue as Zauriel says how many whales are in the waters around Gotham and Aquaman says how many would you like
0: yeah i i i have to imagine it's it's a fulfilling experience for the whale yeah <laughs> you know it gets to see new sights yeah um But yeah, uh, uh, Zariel cuts open the submarine just as a bunch of locust scientists kind of fall out, essentially doing the whole kind of zombie thing uh, as they are all consumed by this techno virus. And, um, you know, Zariel very narrowly avoids getting touched
1: by them, thanks to Aquaman. Yeah, and Superman describes this as, as a poison pill, the same sort of thing that that Spies use when they don't want to be interrogated, and you know, when they crack open a turf and kill themselves. Uh, and uh,
0: and then thanks to Superman's narration and more kind of harp music, we get like a nice little um montage of the JLA thwarting more locust uh, locust locust events. We see a guy holding a gun, but the gun is actually Plastic Man, and then we see Steel and Flash punching um big Just rat monster big rat monster yeah um which feels like a fun adventure but um there's no time to dwell on that pj because we're back with huntress uh as she is uh
1: standing on a rooftop yeah and she's near wade and grayson's books and <laughs> dan's peanuts uh and there's a, a, a bat symbol graffiti tag on one of the buildings as well that is a no man's land thing
0: yeah, that's very much like that. Was like as the Bat Family reclaimed a building or a block, they they tag it. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah,
1: yeah. At the beginning of No Man's Land, it's like the various gangs tag their territory, so Batman starts tagging territory, and and as he claims it back, yeah.
0: Hmm. Did we kind of reference that in the last Nolan movie?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because Gotham is is cut off. There's an there's a bit of No Man's Land in in that certainly. Hmm. Anyway, sorry. Um,
0: uh, yeah, but Huntress uh, is, um, is you know, pissed off because she's like, well, look, all these fun stories you're telling me are just, you know, yet more proof that Gotham needs the JLA, basically. And uh, Superman points out that, well, their presence in Gotham
1: is illegal. Yeah, and then Huntress shouts at this. She's like, illegal? I mean, you could really do something. If I had your powers, I wouldn't feel accountable to laws, and especially the stupid ones. And then Superman sort of gives a speech about responsibility and not doing everything you're capable of sometimes and, and references a story I haven't read, Superman, King of the World, about when he took laws into his own hands and, and learned a lesson from that recently. That wasn't the one where he tried to round up all the world's nuclear weapons, was it? It
0: might have been, yeah. I'm not sure, to be honest. Yeah. This really this episode, this issue really does feel like a kind of um a like a previously on. Like there's a lot of references yeah. to other stories in this one. Yeah, for sure. But as a fun as a fun feature, Superman is now completely covered in ice. And this is really cool. As he as he hears something <clears throat> and we get a close up on his ear, <clears throat> he announces that he's breaking the conversation. Uh, with huntress because he has a place to be and and superman rockets down from orbit as a red streak leaving behind a perfect icy cast of his body (laughs) and pj i i always enjoy this picture because for a brief moment this little icy remnant left behind looks a bit like electric blue superman
1: yeah yeah it does oh it's great Again, I have no idea if that's how it would happen, but <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> yeah, it looks cool. Superman's also signaled for Flash, Wonder Woman and Barda to teleport down to the coordinates he's giving them. And they're like, well, these can't be accurate. And Superman says, why not? And then he arrives at the same spot where they're teleporting in from in, in green energy. That's how you can tell they're they're mid-teleport. Superman says, because they're 2,000 feet underground. And wouldn't you know it, there's a big old locust device there waiting for them.
0: Yeah, and 2,000 feet is quite quite low. Mm. Quite low? Quite deep. Yep. Sorry, that's what I wanted to say, yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, they're like, how the hell did you know this was here? And um, basically Superman's like, oh, well, their their devices have a unique audio signature and I've been up in orbit listening for it, basically. <laughs> so that's why he was up in orbit, PJ.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is cool. I love that. And this is this is where we sort of intercut between two different stories because we then cut back to Gotham where Huntress finds a, a kid out alone and, and sort of crying and he says he recognises her as a JLA member and he says that a gang has shown up at their home and is trying to take their food and his dad's trying to stop them, but there are twenty of them, and Huntress just sarcastically says as she takes him by the hand, Great, this looks like a job for Superman <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great line. Yeah. But again, some brilliant shots of Huntress here from Pajarillo leaping from the rooftop and landing and helping this kid is brilliant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, looking good. And, and you know, similarly, just as we've
0: commented many times, really, really, really good at drawing anatomy and poses, uh, particularly with small characters. Because, mm. like, we get this lovely little panel here of Barda, Flash, Wonder Woman and Superman essentially, you know, trying to crack open this big locust drilling device. And they are tiny in panel, and yet there is such a sense of motion on each of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Barda comments on how hot it is, because they're close to the Earth's core, so it's very, very hot down there. And Flash says, yeah, check it out, even Superman is sweat, sweating. Wait, Superman is sweating? As Superman seems to faint off the top of this big <laughs> drill tank thing that they're all, all on top of.
0: Yeah, and... Uh... Uh, you know Superman just face planted um and huntress rounds the corner and sees like a guy getting beaten up by yeah literally like 20 people the wreckers apparently the wreckers yeah those notable batman villains the wreckers who i'm sure have a long career ahead of them um and huntress just starts walking towards them and the little kid is like uh do you have super strength Uh, she's like well no he's like are you invulnerable she's like well no i'm afraid not um and he's like well how are you gonna save him he's like well i'm gonna do everything i'm capable of doing which is you know the batman school of hard knocks is essentially (laughs) just opening a can of whoop ass on a situation
1: yep yep and then back underground superman's asking why he's suddenly weak as barda helps him to get up and flash says well that's a good question i'm gonna play a light speed hunch And he sort of accelerates up, and it turns out that the ship itself is blaring out red solar radiation that is eating into Superman's solar battery cells.
0: Yes. um, Often forget that Superman has a few vulnerabilities. um, Kryptonite, red sunlight, and magic. And... uh, Yeah, um, I mean, I I don't know how reg solar irradiation is any different to just red light, but, yeah, Superman's been taken down quite effectively, actually.
1: Yeah, but Wally's got a plan. It's not a good plan, but it's a plan. (laughs) He just (laughs) basically (laughs) runs through the tank, vibrates through it, causing it to sort of explode as he goes. But, as Wonder Woman shouts, but if there's a virus sample inside... And yeah, there is. And walline has now been fully exposed. Um, at the same time, Huntress
0: is swinging into action, kicking guy in the face, uh, shooting two other people uh, with with arrows, not bullets. Uh, and uh, that was much better.
1: <laughs> still, they yeah, can still be actually, lethal.
0: John, she shot him in the shoulder. We should. Well, say. no, nobody a- affiliated with Batman would use lethal force. PJ, <laughs> I think I think you know that. Yeah, they're they're their riot suppression arrows <laughs> um but yeah uh while he's panicking uh, uh uh diana tries to uh lasso him to kind of calm him down um and then the locust boys leap out and start kind of shooting um and uh, because Superman's feeling better, him and Barda
1: do a good old-fashioned two-person punch to the ground. Yeah. to create to I, create like a shockwave. I do like as well that with when the Locust scientists start shooting, the first blast hits hits Wonder Woman, and in the next panel, she's doing the fantastic thing with her gauntlets where she's bouncing the the blasts back at them. And Pagurillo draws that really well. She's got like six arms. That's how fast she's moving. Brilliant. And uh, yeah, and and nice that like even though she's been shot once, she's like.
0: Um, Clearly not down for the count. Like, it's like, oh yeah, one shot hurt. But she's
1: like, oh, okay, back to business. It's fine. Yeah. And then in Gotham, uh, Huntress is mm. stood there trying to protect this family as the gang has stood around her saying, you can't take us all. And she says, you're going to fight, you're going to talk.
0: Um. At the same time, um, Bader and Superman's kind of shockwaves completely take down the local scientists. Uh, and as a fun little detail, the virus starts spreading along wonder woman's uh golden golden lasso um uh, to water which is a fun little thing yeah like, a bit
1: like um
0: a bit like the old um phalanx in
1: yes. x-men yeah it's a cool little moment but superman's on it wonder woman drops the lasso and superman just hits it with his heat vision and nullifies the virus and tells her which to is get nice the because to the of course for treatment
0: because, of course, the lasso is invulnerable. Yeah. So Superman's not going to... Indestructible. So Superman's not going to, like, melts um, it with his with his heat vision.
1: I've I got to say, like, the Phalanx always scared the hell out of me as a kid. I think the the Phalanx Covenant was one of my absolute favourite X-Men stories of the 90s. I don't think they were ever better than they were in that story. There was a pretty cool Shi'ar one a few years later. Mm. Um, with, um...
0: Oh, um... Matt, Joe, Joe Mad doing the artwork.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the where Rogue Gambit and Joseph and Bishop are yes. sent into space to deal with the with the phalanx. But yeah, I think that the Covenant is 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 a great one.
0: I never read the original um, storyline, but I remember just from the cartoon as a kid, it just kind of stuck with me. I found them really creepy when I was young. They are. They really are. Um, but yeah, and as, as a nice little feature, um, as you said, um, as Superman kind of sterilizes the lasso, uh, Wonder Woman is just making a, a kind of metal sandwich to hold Wally in so the virus doesn't spread by literally just folding a big chunk of metal as, like it was paper around him,
1: Yeah, which is quite nice. <laughs> so she's flying Flash back up to the watchtower and Superman and Bard are confronting the scientists and Superman's angry. This is angry Superman, which is not something you want. Also, again, a good-looking Superman as well. Yep. Yep. It's a nice clean costume. Um
0: but yeah, so um Superman holds up a, a Locust guy threatening him. Uh and uh you know, says what have you done to Gotham and uh incredibly, um nothing. Like this wasn't the Loc this wasn't Locusts doing. They're merely um exploiting the opportunity basically they're going to um move into Gotham because it's you know a lawless nation and they're going to take over and uh, this dude has activated a poison pill so the virus is spreading all over him basically as he as
1: he dies yes yeah but Superman does keep shouting you know you're up against the wrong people here send a message back tell locus that the, they think they're everywhere so's the JLA And we're not seeding Gotham.
0: Yeah, and to kind of prove his point, we cut to Huntress, who, uh, despite having a gun in her face, is smart enough to know that gut bullocks are too too precious in this new economy for you to waste one on me. So she breaks his arm, (laughs) brutally, um, drops a gun, and then just starts kind of kicking ass, Basically, because she's like, "Hey, I know I can, I know which bones I can break without killing you," and finally, I know my role. Yeah,
1: and um, she also shoots another guy in the chest with an arrow. I but think that's, I, I think that, that that crossbow bolt's gone in his armpit, so that's all right. Oh, that's fine. That, that sounds yeah, really thanks. painful, actually. I'm wincing thinking about that. I yeah, I yeah, but she didn't kill
0: anyone, PJ. She just left mm-hmm. left them all in an alleyway, yes. bleeding, bloodied, and hopefully unconscious.
1: Yeah, and she swings off into the night and reaches out again to say, Superman, are you there? And Superman replies, saying, yeah, for the moment, Jean and I are following a locust trail to, in- to Istanbul. So they have brought Jean in for this one. Oh, and
0: uh, just to really drive home the point that the JLA are on this, uh, Steele is also investigating one in Nevada. Uh, oh, and also they've dealt with uh, Cobra and IQ trying to take over Gotham, as well as Y2K. Well, I have to say, as a villain, it's not somebody I'm immediately familiar no, I, with. No, I don't know Y2K. I assume that they were a fairly flash in the pan villain. <laughs> I mean, Gobbys came out in August 1999, so yeah, one has to assume Y2K was a fairly fairly recent creation. Um, yeah, and Superman's basically like, uh, yeah, look, I mean, everyone's everyone with you know a, a supervillain name and a funny costume is going to try and take over Gotham, so we've got our work cut out keeping
1: them keeping them out basically and huntress as she lands on oracle's watchtower says well that's what you meant isn't it about each of us having a role in all this and superman replies well when you asked why we didn't have jla as in gotham i just assumed you realized and then the final panel as superman says we already do is huntress stood on top of the watchtower and you can see through the window as well batman and oracle looking out over the over the city there are three jla members in gotham the
0: end. <laughs> in fact, actually, the way in which it's collected in the trade, um, assuming we're looking at the exact same version of it, PJ, there's absolutely no break before
1: you go into the next issue. Yeah, yeah, it's just double page spread, the end End on that, and then the next page is, is a JLA Watchtower meeting that we'll cover next time. Oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, PJ, what do you think? I think it's a lovely little story. I think it's nice that Huntress gets the focus for an issue because mm. she's been involved she's had things to do but she hasn't really been the focus of many of the stories and and it's good to give her that because she's a character i have a lot of time for time for i think she's really interesting and i i think it's a great little story
0: well yeah and, yeah and also i i think it's something we've kind of talked about before but it, it could be argued that huntress and kyle are kind of like the two main characters mm. in a way. Like we're seeing two new recruits to the JLA over the course of this series, but I don't know, with very different perspectives on it all. Yeah. And particularly when Kyle is like instantly
1: accepted. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe not by Wally, but but Huntress has always been slightly an outsider as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it's nice to see having her interact with Superman in this way, because if you want anyone to accept you, it's going to be Superman. And of course, Superman is just the most accepting guy there is. (laughs) He's like, well, yeah, you're on the league. Of course you are. So yeah, you're on the league. You're in Gotham. The league are in Gotham. We're good. Yeah. It's weird in a way like
0: Huntress, somebody who probably feels she needs to prove her place on this team. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good point, PJ interacting with the one person who probably accepts her unequivocally Mm. and always has. Um, yeah, that's a really nice subtle sort of thing, and again, something that Wade does just as effortlessly as breathing is just picking up on these nice little character interactions. And yeah, it's a, yeah, no, it's very that's a very good point, PJ. I never picked up on that before. That it's essentially an unusual pairing for a story, and I mean they never actually meet over the course of this story. But yeah, it's a really nice. It's a really nice contrast, actually. You get to see the JLA's morals and methods kind of tested by comparing Superman, you know, who yeah. is Superman, with a very cynical
1: but well-meaning person. If if I had to guess, I would say that a lot of the Huntress stuff was was probably Devin Grayson because I know she was working with the character a lot. Huntress has major, major roles to play in, in No Man's Land, in the Bat books, and I know mm. Devin Grayson was involved in a lot of that, so... My guess would be that she was involved in a lot of the writing of Huntress in this issue, and mm-hmm. Wade probably did a lot of the Locust stuff.
0: Yes, it's weird because I, I, I'm, I, I'm not familiar with Devin Grayson's work, Um, and despite us talking at length about how there are two writers on this, I still just kind of consider it a Wade story, which I think is quite unfair of me. I think that's, um, I guess
1: that's partly the way the book is packaged. It gives you these two standalone issues that Wade. He solo writes the second one and co-writes the first one. It's sort of almost presented as a Wade double pack. Hmm. Yeah. True. True. And
0: and obviously, of course, it's got that JLA, you know, obviously JLA DNA running right through it. So yeah, it 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 kind of feels more. It feels in keeping with Wade's earlier guest stories, but I think, as I've said before, when I was maybe a little a little colder. On maybe the Julian September storyline and the um a kind of lost King space storyline, mm. I, I I not that they're bad in any way, but I I just really I really I really enjoy these this story and and the next
1: one as well. Yeah, yeah, they're both really good, really good little stories.
0: <laughs> it's it's weird. It, it, it's you know I I joked about it and there's the whole kind of. You know, I was saying like the flashback and, fa- and harp music kind of like uh, transition. There's an element of that, which is maybe it's a little um, it's a little more story-esque. There's a really bad way of describing it. Mm. But like, you know, sometimes like you're reading like a Morrison issue and it just feels like you're a guest in this world and you're just seeing kind of like events unfold. Yeah. So, this one has more of a conceit in that it's a series of nested stories, which maybe makes it feel a bit more like I'm doing a really bad job of explaining this, but I can see the writing a bit more. Yeah. But at the same time, despite being a little kooky, despite having this gimmick, it's a lot of fun. Like, you know, flashbacks and flashbacks. And as we found out two weeks ago, mm-hmm. like, it's fun like i i don't have an issue with it like it, it it's 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 wearing it's wearing that gimmick quite well
1: yeah 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 no it's 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 great i think the 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 two stories interact really well complement each other really well because a lot of the time in a comic if you've got an a story and a b story sometimes they don't really interact that well mm. and and it's just like we're just carrying on these two little stories separately but these two do inform each other and it's great
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so, and yes, it's it's weird actually, because it's a very different issue to most of anything else in the series, like, it's weird in a way, and particularly with the next one as well, like, Morrison, I feel, rarely would do issues which would reference things happening... In the wider DC universe. Yeah. And I wonder whether I'm just trying to think now, like, with No Man's Land happening at this time, do you think this was a did this decision to do a, a loose tie-in, did it come down from on high via editorial? You know, was was like somebody, Dan Raspler or whatever, going like Hey, we need to just have like a little reference to No Man's Land. And would that request have gone via Morrison if Morrison was on the series? Or was it more the opposite where it's like, hey, Morrison's a rock star doing their thing, but they're not on the book for a couple of issues. Wade, you're 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 good for a laugh. We can always rely on you. <laughs> could you maybe do could you maybe just link to No Man's Land a little bit? Or do you think Wade was like, hey, I've got an idea, I want to link to it, I want to reference Locus, you know, because it's a very it kind of does feel like it's more in the in the DC universe, in a way
1: like there's a lot of connections to other things I wonder if as well, I've, I've just gone on to the, uh, I don't do this very often actually, but I've gone on to the issue on the DC wiki, the DC database mm. um, where it does say part of the No Man's Land event and um, so I'm wondering if maybe there was a thing that we'd like a lot of comics to have a no man's land tie-in Batman and Huntress are characters in JLA so it wouldn't surprise me if editorial sort of said yeah this uh this one needs to be referenced in JLA so can we do that It doesn't there's no info on the background of it it it, it just says despite not being labelled or tagged to the No Man's Land storyline, it should be considered as a tie-in, and tells you which issues of the story it appears in, it takes place in between. I mean, it's always the,
0: it's the big problem, not really a problem, but it's the thing that every superhero book has to kind of contend with, where it's like, if you have a shared universe, and you have these big world-ending events, and you have characters who are on a team, it, you frequently come back on the question of like, well, why doesn't Spider-Man call the Avengers like every week yeah. or whatever? Um, so again, it's fine. This is the world we live in. This is this is the lampshading we, we're all very comfortable with. But you do frequently have to come up with reasons as to, for example, why um, the JLA can't just swoop in to solve a problem yeah. or, you know, why, oh, I don't know, um, Spider-Man just doesn't go and ask Thor... To come and beat up Venom for him, yeah. or something like that, you know. <laughs> um, and it's fine. This is the game we play, or we, you know, we used to play. But in the the olden days of superheroes, I think if a Bendis run, you literally would have just had the JLA or the Avengers turning up in every issue of Spider Man. <laughs> or
1: yeah, but yeah, it's. I I really like this story. I think it's a good one. I think i enjoy it more as well because obviously i have read and i know jla year one and it's sort of a mini sequel to that i, I really like it as well and yeah it's great I, I will be very intrigued
0: to read jla year one and i will do for sure definitely maybe not on comiXology at this point maybe i'll just have to like actively get track down a <laughs> uh, a copy a copy of the actual book but um Yeah, particularly just everything I've learned recently. And knowing that there's a gap in my knowledge and and knowing that, particularly from the the Wizard World specials, that the only reason Black Canary is considered a founding member now is because of a a DC editorial edict that said that all those times you thought you saw Wonder Woman, it was
1: actually Black Canary. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) to be fair... Black Canary is great in year one Wade does superb things with the character and, and with her relationships to the rest of the league so it's it's fine but it is weird
0: yeah it, it, and again it would just be, she. I've never ever considered Black Canary as like an A-list leaguer despite in this particular continuity being considered a founder so it will be fun to visit that story and see her kind of treated that way um, and then of course you know we're already, what, two reboots past this? I don't know. I'm losing count now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, fa- it's fairly standard, generally accepted now that, um, that yeah, Wonder Woman is a founding member of the League.
1: I think there was like a 15-year window where it was Black Canary, and <laughs> that's it. Done now. Yeah.
0: But PJ, I mean, is there? I mean, is there anything more to add to this
1: issue that we haven't already covered? No, I don't think so. It's, it has made me want to go back and, and read No Man's Land again. To be fair, so um, it's reminding me how much I enjoy Mark Pagrillo's artwork. Yes, he does a great Superman, and as I say, I do prefer his Huntress to Porters. He's got
0: a. I'll say. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He's got a really nice, neat way of drawing anatomy mm. where. His characters never look over-muscled or over-proportioned, be they male or female. Yep. Um And, yeah, he can draw a quote-unquote normal-looking human and still make them look heroic, which I think is
1: is quite an accomplishment. I, th- I like the way he draws costumes as well. Like, mm. on Huntress, obviously Huntress is wearing a, a form-fitting body stocking. So for a lot of artists, that basically means I'm just going to draw her boobs. Padrello doesn't quite do that. He draws it more naturally, how it would cling to someone's figure. Yeah. So while you can see her shape, it doesn't feel titillating.
0: No, true. And I I, I think that just goes into the general kind of like understated nature of his artwork, which I, I think is 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 really, you know, particularly in an era like the 90s, where I don't think anything was no, ever knowingly understated, uh, is quite refreshing. Yeah. Um, he also draws a really good Zariel. Yes, and I think I I get that kind of like oh man Zariel looks cool because I vividly remember uh, the upcoming Day of Judgment uh, tie-in, which was my first introduction to um, Padrillo's
1: artwork, and I remember thinking how cool Zariel looked in that. Yeah, <laughs> Zariel is is a lot of fun in this issue. Only gets one moment, but he's he he has an impact. He's a lot of fun. I really like it.
0: Yeah, surprising, surprising number of um, characters in this in this issue, and everybody gets a little thing to do, which is quite. I mean, bless him. Steel is only you know briefly in a couple of panels, but you know he's swinging his hammer. He's having fun.
1: <laughs>
0: it's all right. We'll get more steel in the next issue. the really sad thing is, it's like I'm. I, I know we've got so much. I'm looking forward to the next issue. I'm looking forward to the next mark padrillo guest appearance i'm looking forward to the upcoming storyline but it's always tinged with that slight sadness because i know there's so little left
1: the next issue feels vaguely momentous to me because it is the end of this trade the next issue is the last one in the justice for all book and that mm. means then that we're on to world war 3
0: which i'm 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 very excited about because it means so much to me as a as a story, but so uh, yeah, go It's always there. That sadness, PJ. Yep, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, look with that in mind. If we if we if we really have uh, kind of um, exhausted this particular issue, um, is there anything else you'd like to shout about, PJ? No, not today. Could I do a little shout? Of course you can. Thank you. I di- I genuinely did care if you had a shout-out. That wasn't just like a kind of horrible segue to get to my thing. <laughs> I, no, I know. I just I feel like I'm going to take it easy on my plugs today. Well, I I, I I will keep mine simple, but like I said, if you're listening to the show, there's a very good chance you're absolutely sick of hearing me talk about it, but my comic after, I think, has hit its 10-year anniversary, and I've got this big old celebration planned where I'm going to be releasing the entire run So over 800 pages as two big hardback A4 books, The Book of Life and The Book of Death. And I'm also bringing out uh, Volume 6, which has never been seen before. Uh, So I'm just doing this big smorgasbord of books, which you can get any or all of them or none of them, if you wish, via a Kickstarter, which will be launching on Tuesday the 17th of May. So I don't know, if you like hearing the sound of my voice and maybe like to check out my book, um that would probably be an amazing way to get involved and uh yeah they'll i'll put actually there's already a link but i'll put (laughs) i'll make sure there's a link in the description but yeah if you want to give a project a follow or um join the project mailing list both of which would be amazing and thank you if you do and no pressure if you don't
1: and the project just for everyone put you a peace of mind it gets the full two thumbs up pj montgomery seal of approval
0: and I'll be brutally honest. That's the only opinion I matter. That matters <laughs> to me. That's the only one I care about.
1: It it is reprinting my afterword from uh, from volume five, right? Um,
0: I, well, no, John, but but, but, but PJ, <laughs> that 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 you very kindly wrote me in volume five is so special. I would never want to take it away. I, it has its moment. It will always be there in volume five. All right, you talked me around with your sweet sweet I'm sorry, words. You, I'm sorry, PJ. The p- the page count is destroying me. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I've had to shave, 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 literally
1: to get it into a manageable state. Like, so yeah. Also, buy volume five in the Kickstarter, which I know you can do, and then yeah, uh, you'll see my words and my smiling face at the end of the book as well. Isn't that nice? There's a
0: wonderful, there's a wonderful little picture of PJ holding a stick.
1: That was a great stick. I found it on a trip to the beach, and I was very happy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, if you can imagine PJ kind of standing nobly below a blue sky holding holding a stick.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, it, it's, it's really nice. and he says some lovely things actually. And that was before the JLA cast yeah. as well. So he didn't he wasn't contractually obliged at the time to say anything nice and he did.
1: So he's a, he's a good person. I mean it would have been weird if you're afterward with me insulting you but
0: well, yeah.
1: <laughs> so honestly like when when
0: when you've got the kudos of having a PJ Montgomery afterward in a book you know you'll take whatever words come you know be they be they nasty or otherwise that is true he's a nice guy people that's what i've been saying for years find him follow him send him some love he's (laughs) he's a nice fellow speaking of speaking of sending some love um i guess i should say a massive thank you to gav mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork
1: and uh, another huge thank you to elliot red for composing and performing our theme tune, justice uh, and if you enjoy hearing
0: PJ and I talk uh, you can find us both on the social medias our links are in the issue the episode description and uh yeah by following us there you can hear about all the other fun stuff we're working on um PJ it's been a pleasure um I know we are approaching approaching the final chapter of this epic adventure and that's very exciting uh if we have he said pregnant pause <laughs> Exhausted everything there is to be said this episode. Would you please do us the honours and see us off in your own unique fashion?
1: Yeah, when you asked earlier on, John, why the JLA cast wasn't in your house, I thought it's because you realised it already is.